Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. Well, Merry Christmas. How's everybody doing? We good? Isn't waiting terrible? I mean, isn't it just awful? It's my least favorite thing to do in life. I said last week in the message that I would rather be driving backwards but still moving than to sit still in traffic. Because even though I'm driving backwards and I feel like I'm, I'm losing time, I hate waiting, sitting still, thinking that something else should be going on. I could be more productive. I think the, the worst thing to do is to wait. If I go to a restaurant and they tell me it's more than a few minutes, like I'm trying to negotiate with my family to go somewhere else. I'm like, I know we love this restaurant, but like, I'll give you better birthday gifts. Like, please don't make me wait in this place. I hate to wait for anything. And so the 40 seconds that I just made you wait a second ago, how many of you thought like somebody had missed a cue, right? Like there was a video that should have played. Somebody was supposed to walk on. Somebody was supposed to do something. A couple heads turned back to the back. We told our sound guys, we were like, just keep staring straight ahead. They're going to look at you and think you messed up, but we know you'd, I hate to wait. Jerry Seinfeld's one of my favorite comedians. And uh, he said that uh, waiting is one of the most difficult things to do in the entire human experience. And one of the worst places to wait is at the doctor. But at least they have a room titled waiting room. So like, you know what you're supposed to do in that room. Anybody else guilty like I am of sitting in the waiting room and just kind of sizing everybody else up? Like, whoa, that guy doesn't look good. I don't know if he's going to make it. Like you just look around and you try to figure out, like you, you become WebMD, you start diagnosing everybody with what they have or don't have. Well, then he said, that's okay because it's called the waiting room. But then what they do is they move you into a different room. They call you Mr. Isaacs, we're ready for you. And so they take you back to a different room. Now they make you take your pants off, but they take your magazines away. Now you have to wait in another room, not called the waiting room. It's even worse. I hate to wait. And so those 40 seconds that we waited felt like an eternity for some of us because waiting is not something that we love to do. It feels like for a lot of us, all of this year has been a waiting game. We've been waiting on the numbers to come down. We've been waiting for test results, perhaps. We've been waiting for our church or our business or our restaurant to reopen its doors. We've been waiting on an unemployment check that we desperately need to make ends meet. And for some of us, we've just been waiting on 2021 to get here because we can't get out of 2020 fast enough. Well, interestingly enough, we are not the only group of people that's ever had to wait. In the Bible, thankfully, God gave us a number of examples where he allowed or chose for the groups of people that he was interacting with and were captured in the stories of scripture. He gave them a number of opportunities to improve their waiting muscles. 
And so as we read through a number of different stories, they seem to be in a hurry, they seem to be in a rush, and God seemed to be patiently asking them to wait. I mentioned it last week, but as we think about how the Bible was constructed, we recognize that for us who are Bible believers, faith-filled followers of Jesus Christ, we believe that according to the words of Scripture itself, that the Bible is God-breathed. It's God-inspired. We don't believe it's just a good history book. We don't believe that it's just some good writing or some good teaching that helps you live a more moral life. We believe that it's actually the words of God. It's active and alive for us to speak into the places of our heart and life so that we would know how to live in relationship with God. In fact, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 tells us a lot about the Bible. It says this, it says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work, every good work, not just the active good works, also the waiting good works in our lives. We would be equipped to do that, so we have scripture. Well, if we believe that it's God-breathed, then how did it come to be? What we believe is that God inspired, he breathed into, he, he enabled over 40 different authors to capture the truths that he was trying to communicate to the believers of that day and those today, and should he choose to tarry those that will come to live on the earth at some point in the future. And so he inspired over 40 authors over, uh, over a thousand years to capture these words. And then after all of those were captured, then it was compiled by a group of scholars scholarly believers who were coming together to to really put into a format that you and I would have access to so that we could begin to read the scriptures and interact with the word of God ourselves. And so when they constructed it, and we mentioned this over the last two weeks, they put chapter numbers and verse numbers. That was not in the original writing so that they would just read the entire scroll. But you and I could reference that we want to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. That wasn't necessarily something that was in the original text. And so they also composed it into two different major chunks Two different major uh, divisible pieces here, one being the Old Testament and one being the New Testament. And when we think about the Old Testament and the New Testament, we recognize that each of them is constructed in telling a story. Now, they are a part of one larger story that is referred to as the meta-narrative of Scripture. It's from the very first verse to the very last verse, the entire story that God is writing as he reconciles man back to himself. But as we relate the understanding of the Old Testament and the New Testament, we also understand that there are some different narratives that are taking place in each of these divisions. And the Old Testament, if you were to read it chronologically, does not actually appear in the way that it is listed here in the Bible that you have, whether it's a printed version or a digital version. Over the last few years, as I attempt to read the Bible through, uh, I've read the Bible chronologically, which is really fun because you actually skip around a little bit and you capture the events in the real time that they were happening. And so some of the books overlap with one another. Well, in the Old Testament, you have these books of law, you have these books of of poetry and and this beautiful language of the Psalms and the Proverbs, and you see some of that taking place in the Song of Solomon and Ecclesiastes, but then you also come to major prophets and minor prophets. We've referenced that over the last few weeks. Well, then when you come to the minor prophets, you continue to read and you come to the very last book that you would have in the Old Testament. That's the book of Malachi. 
Well, the book of Malachi was not actually the very last thing to be recorded. That is actually the prophet who is speaking in the days and in the stories and in the times that were taking place during the days of Ezra and Nehemiah. Nehemiah was coming back to Jerusalem to help the people of God rebuild the walls there. And as he's doing that, this prophet Malachi is one of three minor prophets that during that time period was speaking on behalf of God to his people. But the way that it's constructed here in the order that you and I would be able to read, we have these major prophets that get into these minor prophets. And of those minor prophets, Malachi is the last recorded in the Old Testament that you and I possess. And so as I'm reading through the book of Malachi, I come to the very last verses of this Old Testament. And this is what I read in Malachi chapter four, verses five and six, the last words of the Old Testament. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Merry Christmas. Aren't you glad you came today to hear that? The last few verses of the Old Testament is that God is going to bring total destruction to the earth. And then the people waited. God chose not to speak after that moment, not for 40 seconds, for 400 years. The last words that the people of God receive from God is that total destruction is coming, and then they got no further instructions from God for 400 years. Again, not 40 seconds, not four minutes, not 40 minutes, not 40 years. 400 years of silence, of waiting, with no instruction. I can't make it to the grocery store without calling my wife to get more instructions. Like, I don't know how in the world they were to make it for 400 years without getting any instruction from God on what they were supposed to do as it related to this total destruction that he was sending to the earth. It's depressing to think about the fact that there was silence and there was waiting and there was no more instruction. Can you imagine the last thing that you hear being, hey, destruction's coming, What if NASA put out a report today that, hey, there's an asteroid that's coming right to the earth and it's probably going to hit Georgia in the next few days and there's some instructions you need to know and we'll get back to you. And then they don't say anything for several days and you're like, is today the day? I don't know. You're looking at the sky. You're trying to figure out when it's coming, what's gonna happen. You're just not sure. 400 years of silence, 400 years of waiting and nothing else from God since the moment that he declared through the prophet destruction is coming. To me, that's what makes the story of Christmas so inspiring. Because God was silent for 400 years. And then on a silent night in the middle of a field, an angel appears to a group of shepherds and God begins speaking again. And this is what he says in Luke chapter two, beginning in verse 10. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Now, Luke chapter one, an angel appeared to Zechariah to proclaim that John the Baptist was coming, that his wife, Elizabeth, would be carrying a child that would be the the prophet Elijah-like for that day. He would come as a forerunner to Jesus and he would declare that the Messiah was coming. But this pronouncement from the angel in Luke chapter two was the beginning of God's voice to the earth that the savior was come 
to earth. The last words that they had heard 400 years prior that destruction was coming and the new words that they heard from God is that the Messiah was coming. Malachi declared destruction, but Luke declares deliverance. It's one of the things that makes Christmas so incredible to me because God chose to send the Savior so that the destruction and the judgment and the righteousness that had to be judged by a holy God or maybe a lack of righteousness in humanity that had to be judged by holy and righteous God, that there was now a Savior that could stand in our place. And so the story of Christmas is that while God was not withholding judgment forever, he was withholding judgment for a season, and in doing so, he was going to provide a way for you and I to be able to stand before this holy and righteous judge. So God's silence wasn't his absence, it was actually his patience. It was actually him continuing to write the story that was needing to be written in the earth during that 400 years of silence, which is often referred to as the intertestamental period. It comes in the period between the Old Testament and the New Testament. During that 400 years of silence, it wasn't like there was a lack of activity. There were tons of things happening. Governments changed hands a number of different times. Religious monuments and places of worship were destroyed. The followers of of the law The Hebrew people, they began to face enormous persecution and oppression. It became now a punishable offense, even to death, for you to possess even the copy of the Torah, the law that they would have, their their version of Scripture at that point. And they began to face enormous persecution. And they were looking for someone to rise from the ashes. They were looking for some message from God that they would be saved. And now this declaration of Luke chapter two is that God is saying, hey, there will come a a savior. There will come a Messiah. He is Christ the Lord. But it was 400 years of silence and 400 years of waiting that set up the incredible message of Christmas. When I think about all that those believers, all that those Hebrew people were experiencing during those 400 years, I think we can identify with some of those things. I recognize that as we're walking through some of that, I I don't know that, that you and I can identify with every experience that they experienced, but we understand what it feels like to wait. We understand what it feels like not to be sure what we're supposed to do. But I think it's also important for us to maintain a proper perspective of what we're actually walking through, even in the midst of all the things that have taken place in 2020, in 2019, in 2018, in 2015, in 2010, in 2005, and 2000, all of the things that have actually happened in our lives, I think it's important for us to recognize what's happening in other places in the world where believers are actually being persecuted to the point of death, and, and most of us have never experienced that here in the United States. When we stream our services and a number of people watch online every week, some weeks it's, it's about half the number that are even in person, sometimes it may be even more than that. We have people watching from a number of different places. We have people watching from the metropolis of Ballground, Georgia, and Jasper, Georgia, and Canton and Woodstock, but we have people that are watching from Florida and Texas, out in the Midwest. We have people that are watching from Asia. And as we stream these services to them, I want us to be careful that we also recognize that we are not the only ones facing some of the things that are taking place around us right now. They are facing some things as well. And so when I think about that, it helps me to recognize that the 400 years of silence that these followers of Jehovah God, they walked through in that season and they did not have access to a present word of God, an active word of God during those 400 years, what were they to do? 
And I think about the things that have taken place in even American history. My brother, earlier this week, he, he posted a picture on Instagram from a book that he's reading that was written in 2004. And this picture, which may not be quite as clear as I would have hoped, but this picture, which is in this book written in 2004, is a picture from 1918. It's a group of Jesus followers who are sitting outside of their church wearing masks during the Spanish flu pandemic. And they were required to sit outside of their church because the government would not allow them to sit inside their church because of the pandemic that was, that was going around right then, 1918. So they had to wear masks and they were sitting outside their church. They didn't have access to come into their church to worship. And if we're not careful, sometimes we think what we're walking through now, while it is terrible, we think it's the first time it's ever happened in history and we think we're the only ones that are facing any type of adversity for our faith. And yet, our ancestors walk through something very similar in this country where we live. And other people in other places in the world right now, if they were to declare the name of Jesus out loud, would lose their lives. Seasons of silence, seasons of waiting. And when I looked at this picture, I was moved not just to think about that moment in history, but to think about what took place after that moment in history. Sometimes in moments of silence and sometimes in moments of waiting and sometimes in moments of adversity, I am convinced that the story of God is coming to a close. I am convinced that God is caught off guard like I was caught off guard or you were caught off guard and we don't know what we're supposed to do and we don't know what we're, what we're, how we're supposed to react. And yet if we keep our wits about us and we keep our faith about us and we turn our hearts towards God to say, God, you are writing the story in the earth. In so many ways, it has to get worse before it gets better. Then what it allows me to do is not to respond in ways that seem to indicate a lack of faith that God is in control. It allows me to live with confidence and faith that God is with me in the midst of moments of silence and waiting. After those moments in this picture, after 1918, as they sat outside their church wearing masks and praying because they weren't allowed to go inside their church, Think about what took place in history. The Roaring Twenties, the rebuilding of an economy. There were wars that then brought things back to earth and then those things kind of grew again and then we saw the Industrial Revolution of the 1900s which had come after even that Industrial Revolution of the late 1800s and early 1900s. We see the revivals that took place in the mid to late 1900s and we see the exponential church growth that took place in the early to mid 2000s that deliver us to today. The story of God is continuing to be written even during moments and after moments of silence and waiting when we just don't know what to do because God's silence is not his absence. His silence is his patience. Because what, what God knows that we don't know, even as we read the words of scripture, is that while he must judge and punish sin, according to the story of Christmas, when we pair together all of these pieces from the gospel accounts, God loved humanity so much that he sent his one and only son that none would perish. And you wanna know what breaks my heart? I still know people right now that if Jesus were to return today, I believe that they would perish. I believe that they would spend eternity apart from God because they've not yet given their lives to Jesus Christ. And my heart, to the very best of my ability, 
is turned towards what I believe to be the heart of God, that we would proclaim the good news of the gospel to everyone who needs to hear it so that none would perish. The story of Christmas is that God loved humanity enough that even in the moments of silence, even in the moments of waiting, God was not inactive. He was being patient to allow the story and the narrative of the earth to continue to the place that when he declared that good news of great joy was come to earth and it was for all the people, he meant all the people. And what I love about this construction of scripture is that the Savior followed the silence. The Savior followed the silence. And I'm so thankful for that because in moments of silence, in moments of waiting, when I just don't know what to do, it reminds me that God is still present and God is still active and God is still in control and it gives me great peace. So as I wait for gifts in a few days, as I wait for the United States Postal Service to deliver my packages, and I'm still waiting on a few if anybody's got an inroad into a warehouse nearby, as I wait for family to arrive at the house, as you may wait for a husband or a wife to come on your doorstep one day, as you wait for a phone call from the doctor or as you wait for the ball to drop just to make sure that 2020 is gonna leave this time. How should we wait? How should we wait? We wait with expectation that the Savior follows silence. That the Savior follows moments of waiting. And not just does he follow it, he is present with us in moments of waiting, in moments of silence. As I think about the construct of Scripture, I'm so thankful that the Bible is in two parts, the Old Testament and the New. And when I read those last few verses of the Old Testament, I hear of destruction that's coming. And then I see the proclamation of the Savior come to earth at the beginning of the New Testament. And then I see the establishment of the church. And after the gospel accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus, I see how the, the church was constructed. And I see how the followers of the way, the followers of Jesus began to evangelize and proclaim the good news. And they handed the gospel to me and to you through history. And then I think about, well, I wonder how the Bible ends. The Bible ends, the New Testament ends with a book called Revelation. And the book of Revelation is a revelation. It's a vision from a guy named John while he was on the Isle of Patmos. And he has this vision of Jesus and he has this vision of what was to come. It was constructed in about 70 AD or so. And so as they compiled the scriptures, they brought this book to the end. And in this book, so many of us, as we think about it, whether we've read it or not, we envision that the book of Revelation is about judgment, it's about end times, it's about punishment. And there's so much of that in the story. But what are the last few words of the New Testament? If the Old Testament ends with destruction, what are the last few words of the New Testament? Revelation 22 verse 21 says this, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people, amen. The Old Testament ends with destruction. 
And the New Testament ends with grace. What changed? How did we get from destruction to grace? Jesus. Christmas. The declaration of the angel in the night sky over a group of shepherds keeping watch over their flock at night who said, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid when you feel scared. Don't be afraid when you don't know. Don't be afraid when you're waiting. Don't be afraid in moments of silence. Don't be afraid. I bring good news. That in moments of silence, God is still at work. In seasons of silence and waiting, the plans of God are still being accomplished. And the good news that I deliver to you should offer you great joy. For all the people, a savior has come to the earth. The story of the Old Testament ends with destruction, but the story of the New Testament ends with grace. And I'm so thankful for grace. The grace that came in the form of a baby lying in a manger who would grow up to be my savior and yours. And the savior of all mankind and the savior of every person that you and I know who would perish if Jesus came back today. And I'm reminded of this incredible truth. That silent night out over that field with the declaration to these shepherds was actually the last silent night in the history of mankind. Because from the birth of Jesus until now, his voice speaks to us. His presence declares to us grace and mercy and love and forgiveness and the plans of God in seasons of uncertainty. And so there are no more silent nights because of Christmas. When you came in today, there should be a candle on your seat. If you're watching online today, I encourage you to find a candle. It may not look like this. It may look like something that came from Bath and Body Works, but that's okay. Just to participate in this moment the best you can. In just a moment, someone's gonna come and they're gonna light your candle and I encourage you then to light the candles of those that are nearby. And we're just gonna sing as a reflection of that silent night, but we're not thankful for the silent night. We're thankful that there are no more silent nights because of the presence of Jesus and the gift of Christmas that's available to all of us even now. God bless this moment. We reflect on who you are. We thank you for grace. We thank you for your presence. We thank you that you still speak. Be with us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day, and God bless.